This is Bob Palmer, and you're listening to Zone Talk by Sport Excel, where the magic of the zone is a game changer. In every episode, we dive into the lives of high performers and learn their amazing strategies so that you can take leadership of your game, your team, and your life. Today, we have Canadian Olympic skate coach Don Kwasnitsia with us, two-time Olympian, three-time Pan Am Games, three-time Commonwealth Games, 20 years national team, 15 national championships, world record in the 200 by 200 at the recent Pan Am Games as athletes showed very well. Don is also on the Canadian Committee for creating a coach training program. Welcome, Don. Hey, Bob. How are you? I'm good, sir. How are you today? It's good for Sunday morning. (laughs) Before we get into your role of coaching, I've I've got some athletes who have a year to wait now for the Olympics and they were all gun hole ready to go. And now they have to wait. Do you have any advice for athletes finding themselves waiting a full year uh, for their big opportunity on stage? Uh, well, I would say anybody who's involved in any sort of competitive, anything is going to get a lot more disappointment than they are going to get rewards. Right. Um, to me, I would just look at it as a, an extra 12 months of training. I get to, to do a little extra preparation and uh, stay the course and keep going. I'll be, I'll be that much better in one year than I am today. Did you ever face that kind of disappointment in your sport career? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I was uh, completely ready to shoot uh, the Olympics in uh, 1980 in, Mo- in Moscow when we boycotted. Um, so I was really disappointed after that. Then... Uh, I was disappointed again in 84 when uh, our selection process got all mixed up and uh, I got screwed out of that one, I guess you could say. (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, other people who also had the same aspirations that I had, uh, they gave up. They gave up and they said, I'm not, it's not worth it and everything else. And I I just looked at it. I just hunkered down. I said, no, next time, I don't care what happens. Nobody's going to get it. It's mine. Right. Now, this, this podcast has many lis- listeners in multiple sports and uh, uh, probably they don't even know that uh, skeet shooting is, is an Olympic sport. Can you explain how you got into the sport in the first place? Oh, boy. Well, uh, I was a little kid. Um, I was uh, always tall for my age. I was about, uh, I guess, maybe 12, maybe 13. And at where my parents lived, clo- they close to uh, an Air Force base, which used had a, a shotgun range on it that they used for aerial gunnery training for pilots and stuff during the Second World War. So I had an opportunity to either go work there at the gun club on Wednesday after school or Saturdays, or I could go caddy at a, at a golf course. And I knew nothing about golf. And they said, there, you just work for tips. So I said, for sure, I'm not going to make any money there. So I went to the gun club. That was the first of my bad decisions in my life. <laughs> so I went there and uh, I worked there as a trap boy. You know, we loaded machines and took care of the fields and kept score for the shooters. And, you know, and eventually one guy just sort of came up to me and offered me, says, hey, kid, have you ever tried this? I said, no, no. And he says, he gave me a shell and a gun and I took a shot and I probably missed. And <laughs> But it was fun. So after that, all of us kids that worked there, we used to gather up the empty hulls that were left uh, on the ground, and we used to sort them all out, and we used to trade them back to the shooters for reloaded boxes of ammunition. So there's 25 shells in a box. So two of us would split a box. Uh, We'd each shoot 12 shots, and whoever did the best out of 12 got to shoot the last shot. (laughs) How'd that go over with your parents? 
uh, parents were not involved. These were just the guys at the club. But for me personally, my parents uh, did not support what my interest in shooting at all. Uh, you know, my father, mother both survived through the war and uh, they didn't like the idea of guns in the house and everything. So for me, uh, I had to hide a shotgun for the first couple of years, sneaking it into the house and hiding it under my bed for for the first couple of years until, uh, you know, at some point or other, uh, I decided to come clean with it and they... They saw what I was doing. It, at that, they didn't agree with it then either. But I, I was I did my own thing anyway. <laughs> I did it anyway. So, so you, you've been a coach. So you've been an athlete. Now you're uh, you're coaching. What about being an athlete prepared you for that shift in roles? Well, I, I saw all the shortcomings that were available to me. We didn't have what I was called coaches through my life. Uh, they were basically ex-shooters who took on the role of managers. Uh, they took care of travel arrangements. Uh, you know, they were there to provide opportunities to shoot and everything. But I never had anybody actually show me or tell me how to do it or uh, how I could do better or teach me, teach me anything. So I was always very curious to hang around with top shooters because I wanted to hear their experiences. How did they handle being in various stressful situations. How did you, when you come to that crossroad where you either fall on your face or you become a, a star, uh, how do you handle those, those various situations? Uh, and it was only after that, after talking with all of these different guys, that um, I started to research more and more and more material that was available. Uh, some of the very, very early, early, early stuff was... Uh, you know, nobody did research on shooting, so I, I, I researched other sports. Um, Formula One driving, for example. They had a lot of money that they put into R&D. And um, so there was always books on what it felt like to drive at 300 miles an hour and uh, various things like that. Can you think of a, a particular role model in terms of the, that, you know, the ideal coach? Or, or was everything kind of built up by you? I sort of came up with my own thing. Um, I took little bits from all over. I didn't like any one system completely, uh, but I looked, I liked bits from all various systems. Uh, I wanted something that was simple, repeatable, and effective. So, and something that was teachable. So uh, I, I came up with a model, I think, that uh, allows me to, to explain things. I said, I don't want anybody to take anything I say at face value. Like uh, challenge me. Like if I if if you don't if I tell you how to do something, I'm only suggesting that. If um, if you don't think that's the way to do it, show me an alternative. Don't complain. Show me an answer. Show me an answer. So show me a, a better way to do it. And if you're right, uh, we'll do it that way too. Um, and that's that's sort of been my sort of way of going through it. You know, most of my life, I guess. Okay, so you've been through all stages of learning from novice to expert Olympian uh, what do coaches look for in an athlete to 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 know that they're they're the right stuff they've got the right stuff what is do you get a gut reaction do you look for specifics you look for that fire that somebody has inside them most the skills are teachable but if they lack the fire if they lack that desire or what motivates them to to want to exceed that's the one thing you can't teach them Right. If they don't have that inside them, that little fire, then uh, 
you know, they'll, they'll get good. They'll be fine. But at critical moments in the career, when you when you're at that crossroad, for example, you know, where you either become a, fall into obscurity or become a, a champion, uh, you're going to fail because the motivation, what drives you, is not enough. It's not deep enough. So when they have that fire, how do they demonstrate it? What 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 starts to happen in their in, in their shooting career or their 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 competitive nature? They love the work. Some people they they get in and they say, you know what? I just I want to go to the Olympics. I want to be world champion. I want to. They have all these dreams. No, but they're not interested to do what's necessary to get there. Uh, when someone has the fire, they're the ones who love to work. They love to go training. They love to do more. They're never happy with what they are. They, they micromanage their whole their process. They're, no matter how good something is, I, they want to make it better, easier, more repeatable. Um, because, you know, it, it, it's, it's a very much a mental sort of a, a game out there. And, and you, if you can stay in that nice little state of uh, everything working for you and it's easy, uh, you're going to go. You're going to go far. So in the martial arts, we always wanted to go from thinking to non-thinking, where it became reactive and, and in a very high-powered way. Is there anything you do in your training that takes the athlete from a multi-step process to just doing it? Yeah, I, 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 always, I always think about uh, when we're learning to drive. You know, think think when you're first learning to drive your your dad's car. You know, at the beginning, you couldn't listen to the radio. You couldn't have your arm out the window. You know, you had to you had to think how much correction on the steering wheel, how much pressure on the gas or on the brake, or how to stay on the line, how to keep straight. And little by little by little, those things started to become automatic, and you started to relax a little bit, and everything just sort of happened. And that's kind of the same thing that that uh, a lot of the athletes go through too. They, they you, you learn a new skill and there's a learning curve and you've got to sit there and you've got to learn the mechanics. You've got to understand why you do what you do. And little by little by little, you get into that stage where you become subconsciously con- competent, right? Where, where all of a sudden everything just happens by itself and you just think about hitting the targets. But, um, you know, in the early stages, it's complicated because there's this balance about my standing correctly and my facing correctly. Is my balance correct? Is my this? Am I picking up the target correctly? Am I executing correctly? You're, there's too much conscious thought. But and, and, and unfortunately, I, what, what my experience has shown over the years is a lot of people get stuck in that conscious state where they just keep thinking through it. And as long as they're thinking about it, they can do it. It's it, it's a big leap of faith to step over that line and say, you know, I, just trust it. Just go after it. Just do it. Is there one thing you can do with an athlete to get them to jump into that leap of faith? That's probably different for everybody, for each person. Um, some people, it's very easy. You know, you, you, uh, you let them do it enough times. And uh, I, I try to change things up. In, in the way we train, I don't train, I don't like to train specifically skeet or standing on stations and shooting everything else. I, I sort of move them around in all different places. I move them around to make them better shots, to make them better gun handlers. So we shoot from, we shoot targets from a lot of different positions where it's unknown. You don't know to lead at this station. You don't know how to stand here. You don't know anything. You have to just sort of, you have to be able to go back to some core set of skills uh, uh, and and figure it out, 
And, uh, and so I like to do a lot of that to try to teach them to be a lot more subconscious in their shooting as opposed to trying to measure things and calculate. So they become more intuitive. Okay. So you, you've got this athlete who's performing very intuitively and they go to a competition and all of a sudden it's just like they forgot everything. What do you, what do, you do to, to rejig that? Oh boy. Um, Again, everyone's a little different. I have little I, in getting to know all of all of my athletes. Um, the more I spend time with them, the more I know them. The more I know their little buttons to push and everything. And uh, we all have our little 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 things that we do to try to get them back into that zone state. You know that back that zone because all they've done is they slipped out of that little state and now they're starting to think about what they're doing. It's like uh, if you start off and you miss a couple targets early in the round, you've already talked yourself into like a twenty or a nineteen already. You know because you're still thinking about all the shots ahead of time and everything else. So to try to get them back to staying in the moment and to micro and, and to micromanage stuff, uh, one guy likens himself to a, a gunfighter where. Uh, he sort of let two gunfighters face off in the middle of a street, and uh, and they, um, they they draw. One guy spins the gun, you know, on his finger, and he puts it back in his holster. So I'll do that with one of them. As soon as he looks over at me, and and he knows I'm watching, so he'll look over at me at the round just when some incident has occurred or something that's got him out of that zone feel. And I'll do that little spinning, pretend that little spinning on my finger, and like as if I'm holstering a handgun. And all of a sudden, snaps him right back to where he should be. He knows exactly what's happened, and he gets right back to it again. Um, so some of the different guys, all, one guy has a, another thing about canoeing. So I'll do a, I'll do a little motion as if I'm canoe, paddling a canoe, and, and that instantly clicks him back. Uh, so they all have some little thing like that. So when they look around at you, uh, you you've built this kind of trust that 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 you're not, not going to be having a meltdown yourself, I, I take it. Oh, exactly. Exactly. They, they, uh, you have to be their, their rock, right? They have to look to you to find motivation, confidence, and trust. So clearly, clearly you have some uh, Don's rules that uh, uh, you follow in terms of your training process. Uh, what would be the top three or four rules that that really guide you and and are your guiding principles? First one, I use an analogy from uh, a Christmas Carol, uh, Scrooge, where um, the first the first uh, ghost that comes to visit Scrooge is his old ex-partner, and he's covered in chains and boxes that he's dragging along behind him, which are all the all the people he's cheated and things he's done throughout his life. And these are all his like uh, curses that are dragging him. Uh, and I see guys like that all the time. They're walking around the field, and they have this big line of chains and boxes behind them. And they're all, you know, and this is... Each box is something. Oh, it's the wrong ammo. Oh, I didn't bring my favorite shoes. Or it's too windy. It's too sunny. It's too cloudy. It's too rainy. It's too something. All the reasons and excuses you have for not doing well today or, or justifying a really shitty performance. 
And yet you have the key to those to, the, to this chain of all these boxes and everything else. And you can either choose to add boxes to it and drag more crap around with you, or you can continue to drag the one you have, or you can unlock this stuff and leave it behind and go. It's up to you. You choose you, which one you want to do. So when people start complaining and complaining about situations, conditions, and everything like that, I, I usually remind them of that. Another thing that I would do is... is um, Everybody wants success very quickly. They don't like the, the work. So I, I always remember a, a particular story about a martial arts fighter that wanted to be the best. And they, everybody told him he should go to this village and to this big city and get this great master to teach him. And, and the guy says, well, I'm ready to work really, really hard. He says, uh, how long will it take for me to be the best in the world? He says, oh, 10 years. He says, 10 years? Oh, my God, 10 years of my life. And he says, well, what if I... What if I only sleep four hours a day and only eat one cup of rice a day and train all the other times? How long will it take? He says, oh, 15 years, <laughs> you know, and, and then um, he says, but but I'll, I'll just sleep one hour a day and I'll just half a cup of rice and I'll train all the other time of the day. How long will it take? He says, 20 years. He says, master, I don't understand. Why is it that the harder I work, the longer it's going to take? He says, because you, when you have one eye on the goal, you only have one eye with which to find a path. So I'm always keeping their mind, stay in the moment, get make, make, uh, do what you do right now, micromanage, do what you do right here on this particular station, on this particular shot well, the results will take care of themselves. Don't, don't, don't worry about that. that that'll, be, that'll be an outcome of your good management process that leads up to that. Cool. So I've been working with you some time and with your athletes as well. And I noticed that when we have a clinic, it's not just me there. It's uh, it's not just you there working with their technique, but you bring, you know, dietitians, and yeah, I think you're bringing a hyp- hypnotherapist, and you're bringing various other professionals into your athlete's realm. And I'm wondering why do you do that? I think the game has changed quite a bit uh, from my time when I was competing. You know. Every- People competed into their fifties. You know, there was one trap shooter, Michelle Carrega. I think I think he was in his fifties. He was still a world champion. Nowadays, everybody, you just have to be a more all-round athlete. Uh, the sc- the standards are very high. The scores are very high. Um, you just have to look at the whole picture. You have to look at nutrition. You have to look at fitness. Um, psych- the psych- the psychological side of what you're doing too. It's just, it's very very complex. So. Um, the, and the people who are very successful at the sport seem to be getting younger and younger. So um, we have to focus on all of that. We want to make sure I have a nutritionist to, to, uh, that's put together a travel kit for all of our guys. So when they travel, uh, they, have some, they have food replacements. They have uh, uh, treatments if they get uh, sick for any reason or if they get bug bites or whatever they have um, that they can travel with and, and stay healthy. Uh, the, fit, the fitness guy talks about uh, the core, like balance, core strength, uh, all the little necessary aspects of our thing. The hypnotherapist guy, he talks about, well, between you and the hypnotherapist, because uh, we, we try to sort of get them in that nice, relaxed state so that they start to understand a little bit more about how to stay in the zone, what it means to stay into this into this zone, and how to manage your, your thought process through this whole round, how to manage your rounds. You mentioned a uh, you know a kit that the your athletes take to 
international championships. So what's the importance of that? Well, you, you go to a, a new climate. Uh, you've trained for something for four years. And you go to some hot country with a strange diet and everything, and, and you go and you get a stomach bug or worse. And all of that training, all that time, all that money's out the window. It's done. You're not at your best. So we try to give them every opportunity to be at their best anywhere they go in the world. So uh, reduce that the opportunity, the, the possibility of getting sick. So again, um, we've worked together. You've uh, you've taken surely taken some things from our workshops. What's the key thing that uh, perhaps I presented that has worked the best for you, best for your athletes? Oh, I, I love the, the idea of uh, dealing with self-talk. Because um, when you're out there, you're out with your worst enemy and your best friend all at the same time when you're competing. And that, that best friend can either keep you in the right state of mind and have you succeed and excel and do really well. And he can also talk you out of everything and, and make you fail. So um, how you talk to yourself and what you say to yourself is critical. So, and, and everybody, again, is an individual. They're all a little bit different. And uh, I love what we've, we've gotten out of your uh, courses and everything uh, about that. So, so if you have somebody who's clearly muttering and talking to himself and beating himself up, how do you get them to what you described before, that more intuitive uh, uh, nature where they, they give up on the self-talk and just perform? That that comes into preparation. I believe. I think uh, that's where we do the when we do the hypnosis training and relaxation training, and um, and getting into that zone state training and everything else. Learning learning what motivates you, what tr- what your triggers are, what turns you on, what to recognize the signs of slipping out of out of out of that zone feel, and um, and knowing not to mess with it when it's there. <laughs> Just sit back and enjoy the ride. Like, figure it out later. But don't interfere. Says, hmm, I wonder why I'm doing so well. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that is the curse of death when you, when you, you know, that little self-talk comes in and you go, oh, my. And then it all crumbles. Yeah, yeah. So one more uh, a question here. You, um, you have the next Olympics coming up not not the delayed ones but the next ones and they're for four years off and uh you have to earn some quota spots what is your thinking as a coach as you prepare for those next four years well we've had we've had uh we've had people who've been involved in the sport for a number of years and they're kind of set in their ways and it's really hard to to go in and and change them too much. I mean, you can offer some suggestions and you can help them along a little bit, make small changes. But as a body, they're they're they are very much their own person, and uh, and they're a little more resistant to change. I'm lucky enough that we have some younger people who are coming up and haven't been involved in that sport too much. So we've been able to mold them from the beginning. So I've got them doing good training regimes, good plans, good preparation. Um, following a, a good a good model to, to, to and, the, and their goal is to, is to be to be ready for uh, for Paris and uh, we have two that are, are I think are going to be really really good and uh, assuming they they 
prepare the way you've got them preparing, what is your expectations from them? This is maybe uh, you're putting your prediction hat, but what's your... Pre- that's, that's a dangerous uh, thing to go to, right? I, I don't know. Uh, just from what I've seen from the way they have been performing now, they're performing very, very well. And um, they've got really a good head about them. They're, 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 they're very meticulous in their preparation. They're always looking to get a little bit better. And that's only going to, that's only going to improve. And they just need a little more experience a little more exposure to to that level of competition, a few more being in, in a few more finals to, you know, getting on the dance floor is one thing, knowing how to dance is another. So um, so they've made it to a couple dance floors, but uh, we still have to learn a few steps. So I said that was one last question, but this is the final question. Uh, what would you recommend to coaches who are you know, doing what you're doing, preparing athletes for four years. What, what, what would you, what's, what's the one thing you'd recommend that can see where I believe they could see results at the end of this process? I find a lot of the guys, you have to develop a level of trust with, with athletes. Um, I've, I've seen other coaches working with people and they're, they, they don't have that rapport. They don't have that uh, connection with them. And people hold back information. They won't tell you everything. Like, you know, it's like you go to a, a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist with a problem. They can only treat what you tell them, right? They, what you don't say, they don't, they don't tell. Same with a doctor or anybody else. And I find that with a lot of, a lot of uh, shooters, too. So developing that, that trust, that, that point where they, they know they can come to you with anything, and that you're not going to preach to them. You're not going to say, this is the way it is and everything. And, and you, you listen to what they have to say. And it's like, understand before you ask, want to be understood sort of thing. And, um, and listen to them and, uh, and let them make them believe and, tr- and know that they can trust you and you're on their side. And then you work together as a team. And, I, and I, that's what I do in my teaching thing. I, I don't sit there and preach or anything. Um, we go and we work together. We go out and we work on something and I may suggest this is, do you think this might be better if we tried it this way? Look, you've done it this way a few times and it's been not, it hasn't been that successful or it's successful seven out of 10 times. That's not enough. We need it 10 out of 10 times. What do you think if we do this? You want to try that, you know? And so the young guys are more receptive to that thing than some of the old guys are who says, nah, I'm happy with seven out of 10 times. You know? so, so that in a competition, as you said earlier, they can look around and see you and, and trust that you, you've got their back. I'm a, we're on the same team together. We're working for the same goal, and I want them to achieve everything they want in their lives. So, and I can, if I can help them do it, I'm there. Well, thank you, Don. This has been a pleasure speaking with you. Ah, it's been a pleasure, too. I love it. Anytime, Bob. Okay. But we'll do this again sometime closer to the, the Olympics. Okay. Let's hope I have some good news. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. This episode of Zone Talk by Sport Excel has ended. But be sure to subscribe and be sure to rate and review us so that we can continue to bring you the best zone and high performance content. See you on the next episode.